Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections, as ever brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petrus Patsilavus. This is episode 42 and I've got a great one for you as we dive back into Wes Landerson with the French Dispatch. This is your first time here, welcome and where the hell have you been? What we do here on this podcast is we watch every single film in the collective Coppola family filmography to determine, are they the greatest film family of all time? Each week, I'm joined by a guest who helped me answer that very question. As is always the case, we will be speaking about this film in complete spoiler detail. If this film were an article, we'd be checking for every grammatical error, every spelling mistake, and every factual inaccuracy. So I guess all that we have left to do is to hop aboard a plane and head to Omwe Blase. Smoke a little thin cigarette, hop on your fixed gear bike, get into some expressionist art, maybe even start a youth revolution. Or how about just get caught up in a big shootout whilst you try and enjoy a fancy dinner as we make some Coppola Connections. This week, we're taking another dive into the work of Wes Anderson with his 10th feature film, The French Dispatch. Well, it's formerly known The French Dispatch of the Liberty Kansas Evening Sun, released in 2021 with his signature shoebox diorama style and a host of frequent collaborators. The film stars Bill Murray, Tilda Swinton, Jeffrey Wright, Benicio Del Toro, Timothy Chalamet, Francis McDormand, Owen Wilson, Lena Kudry, Ed Norton. Approximately 10 hours later. Adrian Brody, Leah Sadu, Bob Balaban, Henry Winkler, Elizabeth Moss, Stephen Park, Lee Schreiber, Willem Dafoe, Saoirse Ronan, and Fisher Stevens. Features a score by Andre Dusplat and is written by Wes Anderson with a story by Wes Anderson, Hugo Guinness, and our two Coppola connections for this episode. Jason Schwartzman and 
Roman Coppola. Joining me in the newsroom to see if we should be celebrating the artistic work of the Coppola family and crown them the greatest film family of all time, or writing an obituary for them, is the host of both the excellent and always entertaining Easy Riders Raging Podcast and Spielberg Pod, Chris Johnson. How are you, sir? Bonjour. Uh, Ça va? <laughs> Qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> uh, ha, ha, i've got a limited knowledge of french i'll, I'll tell you now we 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 monsieur yeah yeah that's uh, I, i'm i'm the same and I, i'm sure many many other podcasters done naff french jokes to uh to to talk about this film it's the way to do it <laughs> so ha, yeah how are you chris is uh it's great to great great to finally have you on the podcast you've kind of been circling around this for a while kind of figuring out mm. what what we were going to do that your your initial pick um yeah uh, delighted delighted to be here uh <laughs> i thought we were going to see each other in person by chance every week and so close mm. yes 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 yeah i've been i what did i do instead of that i was frantically writing something i've been I, i've been working on recently and then i treated myself to see everything everywhere all at once in IMAX that evening. So yeah, I feel like I don't know. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful film. I'm sure, I'm sure people listening to this when it's out, when this episode is out are going, yeah, I know. We've all seen it. <laughs> um so yeah, obviously you were you, yeah, we've been circling around you coming on the podcast for a while, Chris. Uh, but your your original pick, I realized pretty early on in doing this podcast that I need to save lost in translation for a big episode, seeing as um, one of the questions of this podcast references that film and it, it maybe needs to be held off for, for a big episode or who knows, maybe the final episode at this point. Oof, we'll <laughs> see. Um, but yeah, it'd be a delighted to be here. Great. Yeah. Well, before before we get into talking about the the French Dispatch, I always like to ask my guests when they first became aware of the Coppola family, and what I mean by that is like not just obviously you'll have an entry point. Oh, we want to know that. But when did you realize after that entry point that there's so many of them? Because yeah, obviously the, 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 this film alone has two two of them involved, but they kind of I don't know they their their tentacles kind of spread far and wide throughout hollywood what was your entry point to the coppola family and yeah when did you realize there's so many uh i guess my entry point would have been seeing either the godfather or apocalypse now um there was there was like a phase just before sick form when i just got really really into films i was just trying to watch everything i could and i had this little book from uh, empire magazine that was like 100 VHSs you must own. <laughs> and I was using that to sort of tick off a bunch of must-see films like those two films. Uh, but I guess I, the, most, the first time I was aware that there was more, uh, more cobblers uh, was probably around the time I saw Virgin Suicides, uh, which I assume is either just before or just after I started university uh, where I studied film. So I was, I was kind of in the culture of film, I guess. You know? Nice. nice. What, 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 were you, like, after seeing... Apocalypse Now or The Godfather, were you kind of inclined to check out more of Francis's work? Uh, yeah, I, th I think I watched Godfather, Godfather 2, Apocalypse Now, uh, Dracula. I was basically just whatever I could get hold of, because obviously it was the pre-streaming era, so it was kind of 
what's on the telly, uh, what's at the video shop, you know, the paper shop around the corner, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I was, I was, I was having a real like hunger for film in that period, and so I was just sort of ravenous for whatever I could get hold of. So what would have been, yeah, like let's let's talk about Jason Sportsman because I guess if you would have started, yeah, university around ninety nine. Like that would have been uh, no, 2001. I'm not that old. Oh, I'm yeah. almost that old. <laughs> Sorry, 99 was when the Virgin Suicides came out. That was that was all I was going off of. Uh, oh yeah, I don't know why I made a big distinction. Like those two years were really like, whoa, <laughs> hold on there, Pedros. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not, not 41. Whoa, I'm not cashing. I'm not cashing my pension just yet, mate. All right, let's go. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Uh, I don't know what you've heard. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I thought you were younger with your boyish look, good looks, uh, Chris. Oh, uh, the facade is filters. <laughs> yeah, that, that I've only ever seen you over a screen. Maybe, maybe when we meet in person, it will be like oh. uh, coming face to face with the, the the picture of Dorian Gray. And I'll, oh. I thought your son was going to come tonight. No, it's me, <laughs> Mister 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 Johnston. You've, you, <laughs> are you here instead of? of chris oh, what's up dearie <laughs> got a big horn on your ear like uh <laughs> well say that again um well yeah so 2001 so that would have been a few years after jason schwartzman burst on the the scene with rushmore would is is that is that fair to say that would have been your introduction to jason schwartzman yeah, I mean, I, I looked up his, just to double check, and that would have been the first thing I remember seeing him in. I did see he was in an episode of Sabrina, so I may have seen that. But <laughs> Rushmore was, because I watched Tenenbaums, loved it. It's still my favourite, Anderson. But then I quickly saw Rushmore afterwards, which is, you know, pretty much neck and neck with it, to be honest. Yeah, a, 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 a solid film. Like, just, I don't know. Well, I talked about it for over two hours with uh, the wonderful David Trumbull, who we both know. Uh, mm. And uh, yeah, I think I think that film perfectly portrays that kind of, I don't know, it borders on like a kind of incelly, like self-entitled, <laughs> di- like, I don't know, like, yeah. So it still feels very prevalent today. And I guess, I don't know, you can you can look back on that. I, I I think I said in that episode I likened it to high fidelity, where it's like when you're of a certain age, you're watching that film, you're like you almost aspire to be like those characters, and then when you kind of watch it back now, you're like, oh, there's something quite icky about those characters. But there, there's something about the because um, obviously Sophia's come up already in the podcast, and uh, I kind of put her and Wes in the same sort of sort of filmic generation yes. and they, they both kind of popped like I say just around the time I went to university and studied film um much as similar in that sort of time I'm thinking like PTA or um who's the guy that did Free Kings that's really a piece of shit um, David O. Russell yeah <laughs> yeah Spike, you know they're, they're all part Jones, of a movement yeah they're, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. they're kind of like I guess like the they would be the the class below your like uh tarantino and soderbergh right they would have been like the kind of they would have almost like yeah they would have been second years when these guys yeah. were freshers right hmm. and so i think there's, there's something i kind of have a 
a specialness for all of them in, the, in terms of that was when, that was when I was really sort of delving deep into film and that's when they were popping so there's something about that that's always quite special for me yeah I, I know what you mean like I'm yeah I'm, I'm 31 I kind of kind of have that with Ryan Johnson somewhat from seeing mm-hmm. like I remember seeing Brick like really early like do you know what I mean like I think anytime you're like the an early ad- adopter of any director or like film yeah like actor or something I don't know maybe it comes back from my days of like being like uh an obsessive like, indie kid like in my kind of early mid-teens into my 20s let's let's, let's not let's not let's not beat around the bush here but like that thing of finding that band it's that same that same feeling you get with 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 finding mm. yeah like filmmakers and stuff like that and you kind of no matter what they do you champion them that's why i'm a big big supporter of the last jedi it was a great film but yeah like because <laughs> i'm not i'm not a sports person i could care less about sports but you find there are other things where they're kind of like your team yes in a sense uh like comics or film or tv there are there are certain things like that again music and there are things which i would have a passion for in the same way to some degree that some some people love kicking around balls that kind of thing yeah yeah yeah. so um let's yeah let's talk about roman because this might be a bit more of a i don't know like hard was this a harder one to figure out what was the first thing you would have seen him work on like i guess we can we could go back to his music video days he's obviously but like what would have been the first yeah like film you would have seen him have a part of well he had a key role in uh darjeeling like mm-hmm. see I, I believe it was co-written or at least uh, like this a story credit with anderson and sportsman i think um so i'd probably say that's the first time i kind of got involved with uh roman i i i, I yeah that one is co-written with roman and from kind of studying the coppola family and when you <laughs> When you look at Adrian Brody's character in that and like those glasses he wears and the fact that it's three siblings and mm-hmm. having this kind of uh, feeling that they need to live up to this father figure, it's like it feels like it's that stuff is pulled straight from Roman Coppola's experiences. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, much like when you see a lot of Sophia's films, the relationship between two of the characters there's a lot of her and francis in there yeah i presume i mean i've never met them but that's that's my take and go oh this is about her and her dad oh yeah 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 like some of it like wholesale is in uh Mm. somewhere like she she remembers being taken to italy for like a a premiere or like a yeah like kind of festival and then making a big song and dance of francis and i think that's lifted wholesale for that for that film like yeah 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 Mm. Yeah. but oh i can't wait to talk about darjeeling limited on this podcast what 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 a what a film (laughs) but 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 it's interesting you said that yeah the roman coppola you you saw a lot of him in adrian brody's character in darjeeling and as we were talking about just before we start recording i said when i imagine what he looks like in my head he looks like adrian brody Um, yeah, that's that's the image I have of him, which isn't correct, but visually, that's yeah, like Brody is most swaggery is how I imagine Roman Coppola. Yeah, he's kind of, but they share those like glasses and like like every every photo you see of Roman Coppola, he's always wearing these like 
very focals or kind of bifocal glasses like a kind of slight tint on them and there is that that there is that element to him and i guess let's say always seems to be decked out in a suit as well i guess like the like the brothers in that film so yeah there's i, I feel there is there is I, he's the hollywood version right of roman coppola <laughs> <laughs> Plus, I did I did read on on the old Wikipedia that Roman Coppola was born in France, which is where this film's set. Yes, yes. Whilst mm. um, Francis Ford Coppola was writing, well, helping write the script for the film Paris is Burning, which feels again quite fitting for one of the stories, at least in the French Dispatch. Mm. So that feels like a perfect segue to talk about this film. But before we do, let's have a little listen to the trailer. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. He assembled a team of the best expatriate journalists of his time. Berenson, Sazerac, Kremens, Roebuck Wright. These were his people. Just try to make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose. We take as the subject of tonight's lecture, Mr. Moses Rosenthaler certainly the loudest autistic voice of his rowdy generation. Simone Naked Cell Block J Hobby Room. I want to buy it. It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. Yes. In short, the picture was a sensation. The kids did this. Obliterated a thousand years of Republican authority in less than a fortnight. What do they want? Freedom, full stop. I'm naked, Mrs. Kremens. I can see that. Lieutenant Nescafier is the great exemplar of the mode of cuisine known as police cooking. The aromas of the kitchen cast a spell, which was to be mortally broken. As you know by now, we have kidnapped your son. from the foreman. One hour to press. You're fired. Really? Don't cry in my office. The French Dispatch premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on July 20th, 2021, before getting a theatrical release on the 22nd of October of the same year grossed 46.3 million dollars on a 25 million dollar budget a standard for wes anderson <laughs> and found its way onto disney plus on the 16th of february 2022 with no sign of a physical release although i'm sure the criterion collection will pick it up as at some point seeing as that's what they do with every wes anderson film <laughs> so chris 
before we get into the nitty gritties of this film, can you tell us what it is about? Uh, yeah, sure. So it is, as you said, Wes's 10th film. It's an anthology film. So it's basically made up of several shorter films with a wraparound. It's set in France in the 1960s. And the conceit of the film is that there's this magazine who's run by Bill Murray's character, Arthur Howitzer Jr. And the segments of the film are the stories that are being covered in the publication. Perfect. Perfect. A perf- uh, Yeah. Very succinct. And I, I, I like it. Well, we'll get into the synopses of each kind of vignette as as we get through it so um what what yeah what's your relationship with this film were you were you like were you highly anticipating this film let's let's not bury the lead on this this is a film that was meant to come out in 2020 it's supposed to premiere i think at the the previous Khan film festival on like the 12th of may but obviously a little known virus uh some of you cool cats may know about called covid19 put the kibosh on that so that never happened but yeah this i guess shot in 2019 kind of had a string of delays throughout 2020 and then eventually came out in like one of the busiest months for film in 2021 right mm. oh yeah there was just that kind of there was that kind of back to the cinema boom glut kind of it was a glut wasn't it i remember like just looking at the release schedule it was like have a wes anderson have an edgar wright have like, you know I mean? have, have someone else have have venom Spider man yeah yeah yeah. have venom too have it all <laughs> and they're all they're all from varying quality <laughs> much like the anthologies of these films ah <laughs> oh, um, i'm glad no, you no. feel the same well, I think by the very nature of an anthology film is you're going to compare the segments of the film. It's kind of by design. You're going to compare the sections and you're going to like some more than others. Mm. You can't you can't get away from that. And you fall foul, I think, with anthologies. In by the time you get to the end, you forget the first one almost. Do you know what I mean? You're like, or like... At the end, you're like, oh, what was that first one? Oh, yeah, it was that. And then it's only like when you kind of have a little bit of time of reflection and then you start like piecing it together. You're like, oh, that one feels a bit half cooked. I wish we had seen more of that. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, we'll get into the the kind of... But I guess the interesting is, because I came out of the film with very firm opinions on which, you know, how, how, I, how I, I thought of all four of them. And I was sure that, you know, everyone must be on the same page. I think I came out of the, the cinema um, and I, I think I might listen. To, no, did I, listen to, I, I didn't listen to a podcast. And you know why? It's because we were going to talk about this when we talked about it back then. Yes. And I kind of thought, well, when I know I'm going to talk about a film on a podcast, I avoid other podcasts and other reviews because I don't want to be, I don't want to be swayed. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, but, but 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 at least got the consensus through Twitter that not everyone liked, you know that 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 some people's favourite and worst of these segments. Yeah, it's not all in alignment. Definitely, definitely. Well, you, before mm. yeah, before we get into that aspect and the kind of the bulk of the plot and stuff like that in this film, 
what else like you mentioned the Royal Tenenbaums being your favorite like how, are, are you a big Wes Anderson fan yeah I mean I've seen all his films I mean most, a lot of people probably haven't even seen Bottle Rocket still even though it's been out for like 25 years now um no yeah, so I've enjoyed all his films uh you know saw the Mastercard ad that he made or the short film about the the race car driver that he did um so I definitely would say I was a big fan of his films but I was aware at a certain point there became a kind of like a kind of cult, even though his films are always kind of cultish, but there became a kind of cult of Wes Anderson about him that kind of pushed me away a little bit. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, I do understand what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think there is, a, there is a distinct point in his career where he kind of dives into what I, I call Wes Landerson, or it's kind of mm. like, the trappings of the real world kind of fall by the wayside for just this very meticulous uh, yeah, shoebox diorama of a world that he creates where every single aspect of it is, I think it's post um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's like, oh, I figured out I can manipulate things in, in animation why not translate that to actual human being sets and kind of performances? So the kind of he, he kind of he kind of does that with living human beings and like yeah, uh, Moonrise Kingdom kind of very much feels like it could be it could be animated. Do you know what I mean? It could it could have been a stop motion animation. Mm. But but I do remember coming out of this film from the cinema and I was pretty down on it at that in that moment in time. Uh, I, I rewatched it this week for the for the podcast, and I was a bit warmer on it, to be honest. But the time I remember coming out and wondering if 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 me and Wes was was starting to starting to fall out. Yeah. Um. I guess the comparison I had, at least on that bus ride back from the cinema, I was thinking about Tim Burton. Mm. And like many people, uh, I used to enjoy early Tim Burton films a lot uh, because they they were style and they were substance. And then I'd say pretty much his later films became just exercises in empty style. Mm -hmm. And I just started having to wonder if Anderson is going down that road. Yes, because there's like a, there's a, almost like an element to this. Yeah. I, do, I, I, I mean, I, I don't think, even, even though I, I think my, the, the film of Anderson's I like the least is Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh -huh. And even that, I think I prefer to, any number of Tim Burton films. You know, I still say I was a Wes Anderson fan, but I'm just cautious about the the directions he's moving in. Slightly like a jaded fan, right? Like I kind of yeah. like, yeah. Like, like I want to pull him aside. Go, I think you've had enough. What 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 I think is interesting is like if you look at his career, it's almost like he needs he needs a fail almost. Do you know what I mean? It's like. When when the Life Aquatic with Steve Sisu kind of didn't perform that well at the box office and stuff like that, he was kind of the keys to the kingdom were taken away from him to some regard, and it's like, no, we're only going to give you a smaller budget. Then he makes like the Darjeeling Limited, which for my money is like, I don't know, his most like kind of like humanistic film around that. Like once he'd kind of cemented his style at least of like. Mm -hmm. He, yeah it's kind of it's playing with human emotions and 
they feel like real people to a degree. They're heightened, obviously, but they're not kind of, I don't know. Yeah, they're not living puppets. But it was such an interesting, because obviously you, you put out a, a tweet regarding us recording this tonight, today. And it's interesting because people sort of mentioned what they thought of this film and you know his career in general. And some of the films, like I saw at least one or two mention Fantastic Mr. Fox as their best Wes Anderson film. Because <laughs> that for me, I, I don't think it's a terrible film, but it's my least favorite of his work. Um, it's just interesting. So it's, it's that kind of thing whereby, you know, I think everyone kind of agrees. If nothing else, they agree Rushmore is a, a masterpiece. I think you, you can't really argue with that. But everything else, I, there's, there's a varying sort of display of, uh, um, and everyone, everyone was kind of behind Grand Budapest Hotel. Everyone kind of loved that. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that that kind of mixed, mixed opinion on, cause he's, yeah, cause actually he's got 10 films now. So he's got a range of films people can, you know, list and speculate over that kind of thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's like, um, and I think that, I don't know, there's almost like something for everyone. Right. And it's, mm. it, it is this thing. And I, I, f- I fear with directors all the time of just getting too comfortable and coasting on what, what you do. Do you know what I mean? Like not even in like the kind of, I don't know, given, yeah, like looking at Wes Anderson's budgets for his last week's like 25 million, 25 million, 25 million. And it's kind of like, I don't know, it'd be interesting to see what Wes Anderson could do on 10 million. Do you know what I mean? What he could do on 15. Hmm. Just take away 10 million. Do you know what I mean? Well, that's it. Yeah, coasting, I think, is the key. I mean, a lot of people adore this film. And so there are going to be lots of people listening who think we're just, we're being sort of stony faced, stone faces. But I do think there is a hint of coasting to this. And like he's got his same old uh, collaborators, both behind and in front of the camera. You know, he's, he's kind of doing what you would expect. Yeah. I, I, and I think he's kind of earned, he's almost earned the right to do that. That's a, obviously, I'm going like, to, I am a fan. Like, I, I was kind of <laughs> looking through my Blu ray collection recently and I was like, I'm that guy who owns every Wes Anderson, like, Criterion Blu ray. Do you know what I mean? Even mm. the Fantastic Mr. Fox, which for me, like, I don't know, it's got a soft spot in my heart. I don't know. I, I, I don't know why. Like, it's not my favorite of his films, but it's definitely a soft spot. I think spot. I'm just a snob because I grew up on Dahl and go, this isn't what I grew up on. I think it's just that. I you guess. Know, so I think I'm just stuck on that yes, aspect. I've, I, I, I think for me, there's like added elements of it. It's like one of the first, like, Wes Anderson films I've been able to show my son. Mm-hmm. And sure. like, like him him as a three-year-old trying to do the like it's kind of like <laughs> like and he's kind of enamored by it and stuff like that and uh yeah i've recently gone through a period of not having the internet so i've kind of had to sift through my blu-ray and dvd collection just kind of picking out stuff that is age appropriate for him and like, do you know what i mean like like uh <laughs> arrow title no 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 he doesn't want to watch king of new york no he doesn't want to watch he, he, too young for hellraiser oh fantastic mr fox will do uh isle of dogs like we could try him on that even like even though that's a big ask for a three-year-old like yeah, this film is <laughs> like met like there's, there's, there's people yeah there's people speaking japanese not subtitled like it'll be just like you're gonna be really confused like you can't kind of read the subtext to it and stuff like that it's probably not a film for kids like even that could be argued about the fantastic about fantastic mr fox as well right like it's uh 
It's possible. Well, yes, yeah, it's the film about a guy having a midlife crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Something. So I kids know. come watch this film about existential dread. Yes. Yes. Oh, you got you got you got to teach him young. At least that's what that's what I'm doing. With my son, he's he's watching me kind of go through all these crises that I have in my life. So, it, and I, you're still so young, Petros. I know, I know, I know. Wait, wait till I get to midlife and I get a I get a sports car and a and a 25 year old girlfriend. <laughs> I guess I guess, but but yeah, my my desire for him is just to to mix things up, and. It was interesting. I came away from this because obviously it's, it's four smaller films linked with a wraparound. Mm-hmm. And I got my problems with the wraparound a lot, but we'll come back to that in a second. But like, I kind of feel like there was two of these films I would have liked to have seen him make as full films. Like they could have been, they, they would have been different enough, I think, if you made them sort of 90 minutes each. Mm-hmm. They, they, they would room for there to make them not fall into sort of routine Wes Anderson. Do you know what I mean? I, I I know I know I know entirely what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and we'll we'll mm. we'll, we'll get into that shortly. So I remember like first hearing about this film. It was supposed to be a post-war set musical, and I think that mm. speaks to something you were talking about, of, like him doing something different. And like, I remember first hearing that news, being like, "Oh, this is interesting. This is." This is exciting. And then, like, I think finding out, oh, his next film's going to be set in France, going to be about a, a newspaper. I think, like, maybe the title was announced, The French Dispatch. I mean, like, that sounds so Wes Anderson. Do you, do, you, do, you, do you have any, like, recollection of first kind of hearing about this film? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we're pretty much in agreement because I, I definitely did hear it was going to be a musical. And I, too, was excited because I thought, oh, he's going to be doing something different. Because that is, I mean, in fairness, he hasn't done an anthology film, but mm-hmm. a musical would have been a bigger departure. Like if they said, oh, Wes is making a horror film, you go, oh, really? Ooh. You know what I mean? But So I was excited by the idea of him making a musical and then was slightly sort of crestfallen by the, by hearing, oh, it's just gonna, it's, it's not going to be a musical after all. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, he's, he's almost like kind of dabbled, like his whole career has dabbled in the kind of, anthology-esque elements to it do you know what I mean because it'll kind of be introduced to a character and then you'll get like a kind of even if they're like very small vignettes do you know what I mean even like as far back as the raw Tenenbaums like do you know what I mean there's almost like these kind of like hmm. the diff well, he, the, well, he, do, he, he does character drama or comedy drama and he likes to make films about uh, big casts yes do you know what I mean so there's lots of characters Lots of stories in all of his work. Yeah, and then it will kind of do these like kind of side tangents of like the individual characters, even if it's just like all of a sudden it's picking up a book and then it's like, Margot Tenenbaum was like, did this, that, and the other. Do you know what I mean? He's kind of almost like done these like almost like music video length mm-hmm. little sure. kind of short films within his films to kind of introduce characters and these kind of, yeah, that like always pl- like played around with vignettes i would say but he's kind of it, this it almost feels like the natural progression to be like right we're mm. gonna do this wrap around and then we're just gonna do three stories like and it's kind of like i don't know yeah like you said there's definitely a scope for it that is like that there could have been two 90 minute films in here and like some of it could have just been left on the 
from floor. <laughs> but, but but I guess even if you uh, you kind of leave the, the shorts in aside for a second, you've got the wraparound, which is set in this newspaper magazine type type thing, run by uh, Bill Murray's character, and he's dead at the start, and so it's about you know sort of bookended by Bill Murray is dead in the film, and I think Anson felt he made a film where we cared about the stories and we cared about the the people that wrote the stories. But we're so fleeting the time of those people that I I I I, I had interest in the stories, but I didn't have interest in the wraparound. Yes, because we don't actually really like. I I would say apart from in in one of the in well in two of them, like the 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 writers are integral to the like plot narrative, so you kind of get to know those characters somewhat. Whereas one of whereas one of them, it's kind of like you, you are, yeah, you don't really get to know the writer that much only by their kind of them dictating the story to you almost like whereas like yeah the other two it's like you get some interesting insights and uh, we, i feel like we're talking talking around it should we should we dive into talking about the the individual stories or well it's, it's like in those opening moments before we kind of like i don't know about you i was i was really happy to hear the voice of the majestic mm. Angelica Houston narrating this film when it when it kicks off. Not enough AH for my money. Ah, oh, like it's it's a it's a travesty that she kind of fell off the Wes Anderson map and kind of just has fallen off like the kind mm. of the, the 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 map of acting in general because Angelica Houston is an absolute like ah, oh, an absolute powerhouse like I've never felt I mean she may have just retired cuz I imagine she's quite old now. No, no offense to her. She may just choose not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's someone I've never like. I, I don't think I've ever felt so attracted and terrified of a woman in my life as I have for Angelica Houston. I think like the the the, <laughs> the first thing you you say a name, I think of the witches. Yeah, <laughs> the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, it's and I'm weird, like, which is a weird mix, but it yeah, it's she yeah. she is both she is both like drop dead gorgeous and like. Do you know what I mean? Terrifying in that film. Like, definitely as a small child, I was like, I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 yeah, what do you think about those, like, early moments? Because obviously there is, there is visual and kind of filmmaking panache, especially in that kind of, we see the delivery of those drinks and, like, we're, we're told about the French, the French Dispatch as a, as a magazine. Well, yeah, I mean, especially from seeing the first images of the, their office and stuff, I expected to fall in love with this sort of quirky office place in the same way that I did with the Tenenbaum House or the Grand Budapest Hotel or, you know, like uh, that big weird sub from Life Aquatic with all the compartments. I thought that he's created a, uh, a place to play and I'm going to enjoy playing in there. Yeah. But... And, and especially you see it from the visuals of the outside and how tall it is and the guy with all the, the quirky drinks. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is what I came for. Um, and I just don't spend enough time, especially because the film's called The French Dispatch. I was like, well, we're going to be in the offices. He's got Bill Murray as the editor. I know he's, he's cast 
you know, a billion sort of super famous people to be the people in the offices. Yeah. Um, including um, Coppola's own Jason Schwartzman. Yeah, who gets maybe like two lines in the film. Like yeah. it's kind of like... It kinda, it's like, a cameo, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's a cameo at best. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, it kind of like, yeah, curly haired, like this, this, this little kind of nebbish uh, illustrator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, but, uh, yeah. but it's a cameo surrounded by cameos because like Elizabeth Moss, she's, she's super talented. She's a cameo. Yeah. Fisher Stevens from bloody Short Circuit, he's in there not blacked up this time so that's, that's <laughs> it's 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 a cameo like so all, he's cast all these interesting people to be the offices the staff and some of them we see a little bit more in their pieces but largely i want to see more of them like i liked that idea yeah like there's cameos in this film that work well do you know what i mean i think like the the bob balaban and henry Rink, uh, winkler like kind of cameo we get and like the, 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 their their role fits and feels perfect whereas like mm-hmm. elizabeth moss it's like yeah like you it's like i kind of i don't know i want to see a version of this film where it is set in the office and like the hustle and bustle yeah. of it and we kind of even mm. if it was an anthology about not not so much like the death of this the the, the editor but more like we've got an we've got a deadline for an issue like yeah you need to get out the, do you know what I mean? You guys, like, what are you working on kind of thing? Like, and then it sends people a day out. in their life. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, because you could, you could do that and then it could cut back to the office and kind of see the bullpen and get to know those characters a bit more. Like, I don't know, there's that line in the trailer about that, like, that kid getting fired and stuff like that. It's like, I don't, I don't really care. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like, this is a great trailer moment, but like, what does that tell us about anyone apart from it gives bill murray the chance to say like no crying and then the camera pan up to a sign that says no crying in like jeremy one of wes anderson's favorite fonts i mean it's a funny joke yeah but (laughs) there's no yeah there's no kind of there's no store there's no like yeah character or story around it's just it's a joke almost for joke's sake um so let's Let's dive into the the first little vignette we get, which is the cycling reporter, which uh, has a welcome return from uh, Wes Anderson favorite Owen Wilson. What do, what do you make mm. of the cycling reporter? It's weird when you you said earlier went, oh, the first one is you kind of forget about, and I in my head went, how can you forget about the first one, the art one? And then went, oh no, there was one <laughs> before that, and I too had forgotten that one because um, it, it it's, it's kind of a short uh sort one to, to set the scene but it's very forgettable mm-hmm. um, like it's not bad i just it's just it's just forgettable is the clear you know it's it's um yeah do we need it i don't know it almost i don't know like if if i'm being cynical feels like a kind of the script is written that it's like oh, people don't really know about this place let's kind of throw this in as a kind of like little travel log and like, don't get me wrong, there is some, visually, visually this film, and especially this first part, like, is great. It, I think it sets mm. out the stall for what you are to expect throughout the film. Like, it's a great... Yeah, like the, the split screen stuff in it looks great. The, yeah. the, the, the same place done in two, that, that's it's beautiful. Yeah. And the film itself, 
like I said, I've got my, my pros with the whole film as a general, some negatives, but it's a beautiful film. You yeah. know, it's stunning. I like it, it baffles me that like there wasn't Academy Award like nominations to the film because like some of the the camera. Do you know what I mean even if like that like let's be honest like Wes Anderson is like if you just strip it down, take away the story of it as a director is one of I think one of the best working directors. Do you know what I mean like in the fact that like what he does technically and like whether it's like these amazing kind of you know, compositions he creates or um like the tracking shots or these he all mm. yeah he always has these amazing tracking shots in his film and like yeah like that opening with the guy kind of going up the stairs and stuff like that or the, the, the framing of the drinks and being like twisted around and stuff added to, it's just kind of like real i don't know visual porn it's it's just a mastery i kept i kept going oh the framing of that the framing of that there's so many bits i just wanted to see in pictures on a wall because they were just sort of perfectly yeah composed and it's just yeah some of the sequences the visual whether it's yeah the 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 sort of moped driving through the crowd or the um the wheelchair going through that sort of riot you know like it's, it's just beautiful stuff yeah, and there's like one of the things I I found in this like first vignette is um the like it feels like animation like and just even the way to like the kind of it's you clearly tell it's on sets like when he's on the the subway and like there's that bit when he falls off his bike and stuff like that it all feels like stop motion animation even down mm. to owen wilson's kind of delivery of the like the way he kind of like speaks and stuff like that it kind of i don't know it feels like inhuman in some way do you <laughs> know what i mean like uh, I, I, it feel, it, I don't know it all feels so calculated and measured and like I just, yeah it, you can i don't know you can almost see you can feel the artifice of it all like kind of just oozing out of the film and i know that's intentional throughout this well that, that's what he does that's that's you know he's 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 he storyboards you know everything to a fault you know he's he's everything is designed rather than captured yes yes that's, that's a, that, <laughs> that is perfect so yeah what, what do we do we learn anything like what do we learn from this this opening this opening sequence in case you didn't mess in case you didn't get it from the opening they just want us to know it's set in France. I think yes. that's that. That's, that's or, or just go like, if you didn't realize it's a Wes Anderson film, here's his usual sort of collaborator. This we, we, we want you to know it's a Wes film and it's in France. If you hadn't got that, you know, buying your ticket, I don't know. Yeah, it's set in Ennui sur Blase, like uh... which, which which I think is too much, too much. <laughs> So let's talk about the, the second, um, the, the second story in this, which is the concrete masterpiece. Uh, what, mm. what are your what are your general thoughts on 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 this story? Like, yeah, before we do, like this one stars Benicio del Toro, a first timer in uh, Wes Anderson, uh, Leah Sadu, who I believe was in Grand Budapest Hotel as well. Um, 
Adrian Brody, as I mentioned, Bob Balaban and Henry Winkler show up in this one. Yeah, what do, what do, what do you make of the concrete masterpiece? So just one second, I'm just gonna let the cat in, but I know, honestly, one second. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, and th this was my favorite of all the, the sections of the film. Because it's, 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 okay. it's, it's kind of bizarre, sort of black and white tale of an artist in an asylum, in a prison, and the relationship to his muse, and then the sale of his works. It was the sort of satire on the, the art industry, I guess. But it's, it, it, like I said, bizarre. It's very odd. But it's, it, all this film is beautifully shot, but this one kind of struck me the most. Mm -hmm. And it's got like a bunch of really beautiful montages in that I love, like the the one of him telling him growing up, where he's played by uh, Tony is it Rivoloni? I can't remember his name. Yeah, Tony Rivoli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from Spider Man. Yeah, yeah. There's there's that little montage, or there's a montage of him sort of painting in bizarre ways. Uh -huh. It's a bit like a uh, Brian from Spaced. <laughs> um, and there's another montage of just um, the muse. It's uh, she's Simone is the character, just posing in different ways. I'd like, I mean, I love a good montage. That's right. <laughs> but like this, this was the one that captured me the most of all of them, just because it, it felt, I don't know, felt felt the most whole to me, the most complete. Yeah, yeah, I I, re I really like this one. I think, that, and there's some beautiful moments in mm. like this one. I really love the kind of i don't know almost it's quite surreal like it's kind of it, it yeah there's that surreal moment when tony rivoli and uh benicio del toro like pass over like be mm. like being being the character and like kind of pats him on the arm he puts the chain on him and stuff like that and it's like oh this is a bit like this is weird like, do you know what I mean? There's like a weirdness to this that I really like. Mm. Yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's unusual, but it's kind of kind of beautiful. Like a way to to illustrate, yeah, that that that, that you know, just to make it clear, he's him and he's that yeah, there was there, there's something something odd about that. So that's an unusual thing to see, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. It kinda of, I don't know, it kind of, it feels like something out of like an art film. Do you know what I mean? Not like mm. so and, and this story as well is it's the one I don't know. I I I kind of get you. I I care about the the characters the most. Do you know what I mean? There's something mm. kind of it's, it's it's probably in Benicio del Toro's performance, but like you really invest in Moses Rosenfoller's like story, and like I wish we yeah I wish we could have seen more of him and kind of this. I don't know. There's a great story in that critique of art, whether it is the mm. art world or kind of. I guess for Wes Anson, it would be like a, a thing on filmmaking itself. Do you know what I mean? Like you have this pressure from the studios to like, we need that next picture. We need that next picture. Do you know what I mean? Like, or we need that edit of the movie. And you're like, oh, I need, I need that more. I need some more time. You never think it's ready and stuff like that. And I think like, well, that stuff's really interesting and kind of, I don't know, guess, I guess for Wes Anson, he's maybe is kind of speaking about his own experience of like he feels he he, he definitely feels like he's making art when he's making a mm. film, 
and I guess he probably does feel that uh, external pressure from uh, twenty, yeah, uh, yeah, twentieth century pictures. I guess they're called now. I don't know. I don't know who he'll be making his next film with, uh, whether it would be the House of Mouse or or or, or someone yeah. else. But like, yeah, like I, I find I find that interesting. And like you said, like this one particularly i think is gorgeous not just the fact that you get to see leah sadu naked on multiple occasions but like i don't know there's there's something the, 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 the shots of them sort of laying on their backs sort of facing opposite directions oh. that, that just really stuck with me it was really welcome and then the the frame would flip occasionally it was such a beautifully composed image yeah the, or like the, the hard cut to the mob about to riot which is more in his wheelhouse, but it's so perfectly done. And then, um, there's that moment as well. And I lo- what I love about this is yeah, the, all the kind of flashback sequences are in black and white. Right. I lo- what I love in this one is the kind of the flashes of colour you get. And there's that moment when he's like staring at the ceiling when they're kind of, he's confessing his love to her and she's kind of uh, rebuffing him before he's even managed to, to say what he feels. And he like kind of you get yeah it's like all of a sudden he's seeing in color and sees mm. the ceiling and like oh I know what to paint now and like I thought like that's like such beautiful imagery and again like when when he eventually shows his artwork and it's all of a sudden in color for that one like shot it's like yes like that's it's, I don't know, it's, it's beautiful. It's like that, and it's weird because it's what it's, it's probably set in the most like brutalistic setting of all the the kind of things, it, all the stories in this film. The fact that it's set inside a prison. But I just love the idea that I just like the idea if, if he made like a ninety-minute film about this guy Moses. Even though we've said this film is very, as a whole, very Wes Anderson, almost by the numbers. If there was a 90-minute film about this character, it wouldn't feel like any other Wes Anderson film. Yes, because it's not like, I don't know, yeah, he's probably like openly the most flawed character. That, mm. But that, he's not a very Wes Anderson-y character. He's not like some sort of affluent, sort of, you know, Upper West Side, New York, white guy. You know what I mean? He's, he's not like the kind of character Wes makes. Yeah, yeah. He comes up against those characters, I guess, in like... Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Bro- Brody is very funny in this sequence. I mean, he's 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 a good performer as a rule, but he's he was very funny in this sequence. I thought. Yeah, as Julian Cadazio, and like I love again, I love those moments with him and Bob Balaban and Henry Winkler. I think those are fantastic. I I love that speech that he gives to the parole the parole board, and like even like the framing of that. I love. There's a moment where he kind of like climbs over. The, the viewing gallery and the camera just like zooms into him and like yeah he delivers this speech about like oh clearly this man is insane but his his, his artwork is fantastic and yeah mm. he's he's great and I, I don't know there is it, there's elements of this bit where this this sequence where it feels like Wes Anderson's tongue is very much in his cheek as well like like there are bits that are really funny. Like you mentioned that that that, se- that montage of uh, Leah Sadu kind of being in all these different positions. Like that that image of her kind of like holding onto a radiator. Like not, do you know what I mean? Like holding herself up mm. in the air. 
It's a hilarious image. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Or like her when when she's eating that like bit of chocolate or marshmallow or something through the through the hatch. It's a funny image. It's a, yes. but it's not a new. Yes. That's, mm. Yeah. Mm. The, but but back to Adrian Brody though. There's that moment where we like we get the title card where it says three years later, and like again, it almost feels like uh, I don't know, like the way he speaks sometimes in this doesn't feel like how a human speaks. I guess that is the a thing with Wes Anderson films in general, right? Nobody speaks like this in real life, but he's like, it's been three years. Like, do you know what I mean? He speaks, They his characters almost speak like David Lynch in the way that like, do you know what I mean? David Lynch <laughs> kind of speaks in a way. It's like, I've been doing a thing that you know about, but, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I'm also doing a thing that you don't know about, but I haven't been making a film. I've been painting animals like do you know what I mean like they all they like yeah his is more down to like the way he delivers his words but like um I don't know I've, I've yeah I've, I've been reading a book by um uh Sophie Kaufman she's got another name and I've totally forgot but like I found what really interesting is like Wes Anderson characters almost speak in the kind of things that we don't like those kind of in between what we we would say do you know what I mean like the I don't know like, well, like, the, like the id kind of thing yeah like in the way that um 
I think the example that's given in this book is how uh, Royal Tenenbaum says to Chaz's kids, like, about, like, I heard about your mother died. Like, she was always an attractive woman. Nobody would Mm. say that to grieving kids, but it kind of works. Yeah, he's he's got a reoccurring fear of characters who don't know when to keep something to themselves. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And kind of, like... Yeah, they, they a lack of interior monologue, I guess. Yeah, they speak almost the ellipses in regular conversation. I guess is what I'm kind of trying to, trying mm. to get, get to. Do you know what I mean? Like they they almost speak the sub the, the the subtext of what you're saying. Yeah, mm, definitely. Um. Well, yeah. What other aspects of like obviously like visually this sequence is really great. But yeah, what like story wise like. How like do you like the way it kind of it it it, it kind of I don't know uh, concludes like what what aspects of it would you have liked to see more of? Obviously, you said you reckon this one could have been a feature. So I, think, I mean, it felt like it was like I said earlier, the most complete. Like it does have an end because you're like, oh, he's painted the paintings on the walls, and that they've re- resolved that, and that woman buys them. Anyway, I mean. Um, but I, I really just dug the tone. It just had a kind of like almost almost spiritual kind of vibe to it. Yes. I, what, what, uh, what I love about like this one is like, well, all of them I think have distinct like uh, like musical language to them as well. Like the score, like by Alexandre Duplat, like especially in here, like the the piano motif that we get over and over again is just like it, i don't know something this is like a sinister edge to it and i like that about do you know what i mean it's not plinky plonky and kind of upbeat that you expect from a wes anderson film there's a sense of danger and mm. i kind of i feel like that is something he hasn't played with a lot is dangerous people and kind of dangerous situations and yeah the, 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 there's a sense of danger with the concrete masterpiece that are, that I really like, and it's, it's it's obviously peppered with plenty of Wes Anderson isms. Mm, sure. I guess one 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 thing I want to, and I guess it it, it pops up in all of them, but a, a thing I particularly love in this one is the use of like tableau, and you get a couple of them here. There's there's the there's one where you get the tracking shot of how the paintings are doing, like when Adrian Brody's like explaining like. Uh, it's sell or like I feel, or it might be Tilda Swinton doing the the kind of wraparound for it. Oh, that's great! That is fantastic. And it's like yeah, the, yeah. the just people holding their positions and the camera going across, mm. and like you just see all this stuff. Or there's like I think during the fight, there's another one, and it's like everyone in the room just holding their positions. And I kind of love that with everyone. Like it's not a freeze frame; it's actually people just stood there. Like try, and you oh, can yeah, see so like inspired choices and, made. Yeah. Hmm. What do What do you think of like Tilda Swinton in this? Like, do you? I think this is one where you like this is the one more than anything. Like her character, not really in the story at all, and like I don't know, it kind of felt like she's there for the sake of it. Do you know what I mean? Like, but but that's why it's weird because the film as a whole has a wraparound the wraparound is yes. bill murray's character in the offices and yet this film in that film also has a wraparound which isn't really sort of a new thing i guess because 
Grand Budapest, especially, is kind of like a box in a box in a box. Yeah, in a box um but uh, but i did really enjoy it like she's in that like bright orange dress or really sort of camp outfit playing one of her many sort of super broad characters um but she's she's in it enough for me to appreciate but she doesn't distract from the, the, the what's actually going on in the story do you know what i mean yeah yeah um, even, even when we get an accidental slide of her in the full buff right <laughs> Mm, yeah <laughs> that's been like it's she's somebody that's been in a bunch of andersons much as a bunch of people but he gives her something to do yeah and i um, think it's like i don't know it got almost borders for me on like giving her something to do for the sake of it do you know what i mean like we'll just do this rap i mean you could say the same for owen wilson's whole segment to be honest oh definitely definitely yeah yeah, yeah. We, we, film, if, if he if he was it felt like he was finished with the film when owen was like what have you written for me? And he's like, oh shit. Well, hang on, we'll, we'll come up with something. Don't worry. Don't yeah, worry, Owen. Yeah, yeah. We need um we need some exposition for on we. Like, uh yeah, yeah, you, you can do it. Yeah, yeah. Here's this here's this little yeah. kind of travelogue. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. Well, let's move on to revisions to a manifesto. Um, what do you make of this this uh story within the story? I really like this, but I don't feel like it's quite finished for me. Like it, it's almost there, but didn't quite pop or like, or like maybe I don't really like the, the end note that much, but I like this bit, but I feel like it has a bit more potential. Yeah. It feels like the shortest of the three, right? Uh, well, well let, 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 yeah, let, let's, discredit, yeah. let's discredit the Owen Wilson one, like of the kind of main three stories. This feels like the, for me, it feels like the shortest. I'm not. I'm... And yet it feels like he's trying to do a bunch of stuff in it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's tackling. It's tackling. Yeah. Big... Student protests, a love triangle, um, the, the police. In the, yeah. It's, 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 it's ambitious. I'll give him that. Oh, sort of pirate radios in there as well. He's trying to do a bunch of quintessentially 60s stuff. Yeah. And it's uh, got like, um, kind of trying to say something about like i don't know the the military industrial complex and kind of mm. taking like, yeah like the battle of algiers sort of nods to that film that yeah kind of yeah yeah taking kids like do you know what I mean taking like 18 year olds in to like fight wars and stuff like that like kind of does that and again like that kind of has there's elements of this where it's like oh we're watching a film now let's like watch a a sequence that is a play do you know what I mean? It's kind of just felt like... The, the, the play bit really is, feels like you go, really? Why are we doing this? Because <laughs> he, he, he can. But it, it, that, that feels like, you know, a hat on top of a hat kind of thing. Yes, yeah, definitely. But, but I remember I was particularly impressed by, is it Lina Kudari? I don't know how to pronounce names. But you know, the, the, the French actress. Yeah, she's fantastic. I think like... Mm. So obviously, yeah, th th this sequence stars Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, uh, Christoph Waltz pops up briefly. <laughs> but again, just like, Christoph, are you about? Yeah, I'll, I'll come in and play some schmo. Like I'm, I'm about. But uh, yeah, what do you, what, what do you, what do you, what do you make of uh, Franny and and Timmy's performances here? They're they're, they're, they're solid. Um... I think the moments between Chalamet and 
Kudari. I think those are the moments that really popped for me, like their chemistry. Um, the, Frances McDormand, she, I mean, she's one of the most dependable performers on the on the block. You know, she's she always delivers. Has done for decades. Uh, I, I don't know if they quite gave her enough to chew on here. Yeah, yeah, and I I, I guess this this sequence as well, like, is I don't know deals with something especially like the, the end of last year was a big talking point for people is inappropriate age gaps obviously uh licorice pizza was was a big talking point nobody was talking about the uh the like because i'm guessing i don't know timothy chalamet how young is he supposed to be in this like he, he's still living at home with his parents i say that as a man who's 31 and is currently living with his parents but that's by the by but uh uh, Petrus, I think the phrase you're looking for is double standard. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the licorice pizza thing was weird because people got real, like, there was a certain fraction of sort of Twitter that got really up in arms about it. And you go, well, you know, it's a film, right? It's not like, yeah, there are, there's horrible shit going on in real life. This is a film. It's a made up fun. And, you know, it's it's a film. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah. I've, I, I've got my justifications of, why that age gap is okay as well maybe this isn't the place to to get into them i think i've i've i've, I've talked about them on i've talked about them elsewhere so let's not my, derail. my, my assumption is that his character of zeffirelli in france he is probably over the age of consent yes and uh, yeah i'm trying to uh maybe i should do a quick google because i know that some european countries uh, in the past well, if, well, if, the age of consent was younger of, wasn't it it was like there's some countries hmm. where at some points it was like 14 well that's the thing if it's 16 here it's going to be younger than that in france let's be honest <laughs> a, a, a lot more uh liberal country and a lot more laissez-faire <laughs> yes um, you know and that's that's not a judgment on I, i'm not judging our age of consent their age of consent i'm just trying to speaking assumed facts that, that that's what podcasting is right assumed facts yeah, assumed uh, facts yeah. yeah joe rogan has made millions off it why what what why not why not why not us make no money and like base base our opinions off of uh assumed facts <laughs> <laughs> welcome to we. the assumed facts podcast <laughs> uh, i bet there's one called that let's be honest yeah 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 uh so yeah what elements of this like this sequence did do you particularly enjoy Chris? Uh, the, the the color work in that sort of taxi yellow cafe sort of really stuck with me, and especially the the, the sort of moment shared between Zeffirelli and Juliet, like when the walls pull apart, like it was a real cinematic moment. It was like oh, sort of warm the heart kind of thing. Um, or there's there's later in the film there's like a silhouette kiss between the pair. If it was really well composed, or yeah, the image of them riding through the riot on the scooter and the, the camera sort of attached at the back or even when they, they fly off in the sky it's all you know there's a bit where they take sort of, they appear to be sort of flying through the sky it was it's, it's a little bit scott pilgrim it's a little bit the end of greece but it's, it's an image that stuck with me you know it's teenagers and love it's, just, it's very sweet yeah definitely i i love that moment where they're like into sky. again is that in color like that's a brief moment where it's in color right and you get these like amazing like reds and greens mm. yeah no there's it's it, so the, i think the the thing that struck me the most of this this sec this sequence is 
chemistry between cast and some of the images that are created off the back of that. Uh, I think the story needed a bit more time to breathe. Like, but but I but I I, I liked what they were doing. Yeah, definitely, because there's like a lot of like big issues, and I guess like when this film would have come out, so I was like re reading some stuff about it. And people are like, some people who had like not issues, but like kind of, I don't know, especially having seen like youth in America like rise up for a social issue they cared about, like kind of seeing this on screen like was a bit like, ah, oh, like I don't. I don't know how to feel about this, especially in this kind of like done in a Wes Anderson way, even though this film would have come out before like the kind of BLM protests we had during 2020 and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I I would have liked to see a whole film set about the, the, the student protests in sort of Paris and France in the sixties. That's a really interesting time. And I don't know a lot about it and I'd like to know more, but I'm not going to get that here because it's just kind of, like 20 25 minutes kind of other other piece yeah and it's kind of I don't, I don't know what like what i don't like what i don't is what it's trying to say about that like about all of it do you know what i mean like it kind of gets I, I i don't think it's saying anything in reality just using it as an interesting backdrop yes yeah yeah because yeah. it kind of the denouement for it all kind of ten like seems to be about zeffirelli and juliet realizing mm. that they're they are like destined for each other right and it's yeah i don't know it i guess this may be because i know that the francesco zeffirelli directed a version of romeo and juliet that i watched in like uh secondary school so i guess like it, there's like a Romeo and Juliet aspect to it because obviously they are mm. like kind of have opposing views on what should be done in this kind of political war they're in. So again, I I still think this one could be expanded into its own thing. I think there's the meat there, um, and yeah, you know, like again, I would have happily watched a ninety minute film about this story. Definitely, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I I think this film, like, if anything, like what what we're kind of getting at, is like, or maybe I don't know, uh, putting words so, in your so mouth I, here. But I'd like, skip to the end. I assume we both don't really like the last one that much. Well, there's aspects of it I really like uh, that we'll get into, but I think this film just suffers from anthologyitis. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. and I think that it is a. It is a real problem, right? In any anthology, even if you like, you look at like creep show and stuff like that. There's always like one duffer in there. That you're kind of like, oh, like. Do you know what I, I? I remember thinking about when I came out of watching this at cinema. There was a great the quote I heard from uh, Mark Bernardin, who's like a writer and a podcaster, a very talented guy. And it was a tweet he did about Quentin Tarantino's films. Uh huh. And he said that all Quentin Tarantino films are basically a series of sketches. Just the films of his that really work, the sketches just blend together so well. Yes. Like they, they flow together. But they're all, all of his films, they're kind of pieces. Yeah, they're, set, they're, they're just kind of, a, like, yeah, you look at, I think a prime example of that uh, is Inglorious Bastards, where it's like, exactly. I've written these kind mm. of scenes around, like with a World War II setting, let's kind of, 
I don't know, find a way to piece them together with a, like a, 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 a like these inter interweaving stories. Like I think mm. that film totally pulls it off because of the performances and the kind of the way those set pieces unfold and stuff like that. But yeah, you can almost they're like short movies in themselves. You know what I mean, you take mm. out the that scene at the beginning with Christoph Waltz. And I believe the it's the gentleman who plays the uh play, plays the, the the like farm farm owner in that. Isn't he one of the prison guards in in the first sequence of this as well? Uh, not that I'm aware of, but you you could easily be right. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, I mean, everyone's in this film. I'm sure we're in this film somewhere. That's how many people are in this film. Yes. Yeah. 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 I was there in the prison, right? Didn't you? Didn't you see me, Chris? I mean, Anson basically cast everyone from the recent James Bond films, apart from Daniel Craig. <laughs> well, that is someone I would like to see in a Wes Anson film. He's got kind Give of. Give it time. Give yeah. it time. Yeah. 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 Well. well We'll, we'll we'll get into the future of Wes Anderson soon enough, but let's talk about the private dining room of the police commissioner. You've you've already kind of played your card, like yeah, showed your hand here that you didn't like this mm. as much. Do you think that like I, don't know, I kind of have a theory on this? Do you think that's kind of you've had anthology fatigue at this point? Like that that is the third one. You just kind of like. So when is this when is this gonna wrap up? Like or what what is it you don't like about this one? I think the story's just a bit weird for me, if I'm honest. Like it it, it almost feels like a collection of ideas that I don't think come together well. Like the bit where Ed Norton comes down on the rope as the thief sort of kidnapper, and it's a bit kind of like a bit pantomime-y. Um uh, so, so I, I guess my main thing is I just don't really invest in the story. What? And I think he feels like he's got a real like strong emotional core when uh, Jeffrey Wright goes to prison and Bill Murray comes and bails him out. But I didn't, I didn't really care that much, to be honest. What I, mean, is, I knew he was going to get free. What is the, what is the story of, of, of this, this sequence? Uh, so it's kind of about the sort of police commissioner's kid gets kidnapped and about the retrieval of this kid uh-huh. by using the, uh, the, the police chef, right? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Lieutenant Nescafe. Uh, but... <laughs> Again. <laughs> because you're worth it. <laughs> well, let's, like, there is things that I really love about this one. And I've, think well but I, I don't yeah one of them being jeffrey wright as as roebuck wright this kind of james baldwin-esque character and his kind of his performance i think is phenomenal i mean it's, it's solid I, I definitely would say that about this section and, uh, I, and I liked seeing um cersei ronan who in, in, in it's a cameo but it's kind of she has that that moment where she looks through and they sort of lock eyes is yeah. a nice moment that, that sort of pops. Yeah, and I I I I, I, I love the inclusion of Lou Schreiber as well as this kind of talk show host mm. and Sabertooth. <laughs> there's some that I think there's some some great moments with it within this, and I think like again, like visually, there's some stuff. Like I think on a second watch, I like really picked up on more and kind of really enjoyed and one of them is that 
as he's walking through the police station and like explaining to us what police cooking is and that tracking shot that we get i think is kind of like set like do you know I mean it's it's where's Anson oh, to it's core but it's, it's 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 expertly done kind of going through these rooms stuff going on there's that moment where we see like the the, the shooting gallery and all the stuff going forward mm-hmm. it's just like I think, yeah you can see like behind the scenes footage of that as well and how that was kind of uh, constructed and put together and it just looks fantastic mm. oh yeah certainly yeah what aspects of it do you like obviously you, you went in hard on what you didn't like what, what what do you like about this this final story um <laughs> no, i don't i don't hate like i say i i agree right is solid and he is it's, it's, it's weird because he, he kind of doesn't need to be in the story in a sense it, it kind of he's the main focus of the thing except he he doesn't need to be there um and so i i the, the, the little i mean it, it still looks great because the framing oh there's that i love that moment where they 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 drink that like aperitif uh-huh. and then it goes into color and it's like just just a moment where you go oh it's a kind of magical moment mm. um just, it just reminds you that Anson can kind of just throw away some sort of moments of beauty in his films because he's, he's he's got the chops. I'm not denying he's got the chops. Oh, there, there, there's uh, that, there's that kind of spinning shot as they're eating dinner and stuff like that as well. Mm. It's just like uh, I'm like a big sucker for that. Like I don't know, every every De Palma film that kind of has that spinning shot, I'm like yeah, just give me more. And kind of yeah, it's I don't know. I think I think. Uh, what what Wes Anderson falls foul of sometimes, especially if you're kind of cine literate and have an interest in filmmaking, is kind of get taken out by the the visual ticks of it all sometimes, and you're kind of looking at the you're looking at the artistry and the kind of technical aspects as opposed to like being swept up in the story. And especially that applies to that moment you mentioned earlier with the the walk through the police station. It it's it, it's a show off shot. Yes, and it looks great, but it's sh- um taken out of like because uh, Jeffrey Wright's talking throughout that, giving us exposition, but you don't take in any of it because you're watching the the trickery. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of that in this. Like, there's stuff like even in that second sequence, there's a bit where the subtitles go up, like go from bottom to top. Like the oh, I like going, that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's good, but like again, it it just feel, it feels like this. You is, stop reading them and go, oh, that's weird. To- have I seen anything else that's done that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, or oh, there's there's a bit in it where there's like Jeffrey Wright's talking, and then there's subtitles like when they're discussing how um, the commissioner needs dinner to kind of formulate a plan, and Jeffrey Wright's talking through the menu, and the commissioner is talking in subtitles, and it's like your focus is split, not just visually, because you're like you get split screen of the commissioner and like a, a close-up of the dish that they're being prepared but you also get yeah jeffrey wright talking and the subtitles of like what his plan is and it's like don't know I, I get taken out where i'm like I'm, I'm i'm trying to listen but like it's almost like i don't need to listen to that it's yeah it, it, it feels like too much coming at you at once 
So yeah, I, I mean, I like yeah, like some of the individual elements that go up to make the the sequence and some of the performances in it, but I ultimately just don't really get involved. I didn't really get involved in the story. Yeah, and it, it feels like it, I guess it's like time period appropriate and stuff like that. And obviously, again, this has a kind of wraparound within the wraparound of Jeffrey Wright being on the talk show. Is mm-hmm. like. I don't know. It's almost like it, it skirts around the issue. Obviously, again, it feels like you need to do some reading before watching this film, or like have some understanding of who James Baldwin is. In this idea that, like, I, don't, I think it's, it's it's said subtly enough. It's, it's said like kind of overtly enough, but maybe for some people, like, would be lost about the fact that. Like uh, Jeffrey Wright's character is gay as well. Do you know what I mean? It's almost like that thing of like, just say it. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, that's it. I, when I watched it the other day, I thought there's there's a line in it, and I was like, oh, did they say he was gay? And then I was looking at the Wikipedia page at the same time anyway, and, I was, and it said it on there, and oh yeah, but it's 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 it's, a, it's an aspect to his character that they sort of mention, and that, yeah, but I I I was wasn't sure, and then I read it on the Wikipedia page. Yeah, and what, what one thing I find in this sequence as well is like uh, Wes Anderson's like over, like I don't know, almost scared of filming action sequences. So in this kind of goes, uh, let's just do this animated in the style of like a New Yorker comic strip. Yeah, like he didn't really commit to the end of the story. Yeah, <laughs> he, he 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 had gave some sketches to the animation department, and they 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 did it. Uh, Oh. I know, yeah, I, I, I do think this sequence has some beautiful moments, like when um, he's asked about the the why, and like, like, why do you write about food so much? And Roebuck Wright is like talking about like the, the loneliness and solitude you can feel as a person, and I guess he's, he's talking about being a homosexual. And that thing that you can always find solace in food, I think, is like, it, it is a beautiful moment. And again, like that moment when, like, it's um, when Bill Murray's character like says, "Are oh, you like that?" Uh, Nescafe's only got like one line in this this whole this whole article, and he's like, "Well, he did say something else." And that that moment they share about the. The, the the poison having a taste that Nescafe had never tasted before, I mm. think like it's it's quite a poignant, be- like quite beautiful. It's a moment. nice note. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even if it is kind of bitter, salty, and poisonous, it is a kind of uh, yeah, it is a nice note. <laughs> mm. Definitely. Um. So yeah, well, like, is, is is there anything we've kind of missed on any of these 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 little vignettes that that you wanted to to mention at all chris i don't think so but perhaps if they rearrange the order maybe i would have come away differently i don't know it's, it's hard to, you know like but um yeah that filled with the the world's most talented performers um i'd quite like to see him work with some new people well uh, we might get to see that. We might. Well, I think we are going to get to see at least what uh, one new performer when we get to Wes Anderson's new film, which I believe will come out next year, uh, Asteroid City. Um, mm. is, is that uh, Wes Anderson goes to Spain? 
Wes Anderson goes. It's filmed in Spain. Yeah. Hopefully, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's his uh, spaghetti western. Well, yeah. I, I mean, that I would watch. That that would be fun. But I, <laughs> yeah, because I was looking at the Wikipedia page on that film earlier. Because like, oh, is that gonna be his film set in Spain? Like he did the film in India. He did uh, this one in whether he's doing the kind of uh, Woody Allen when he ran out of things to do and he just started making make films in Europe. Yeah. Kind of. Um, but like, like I said, I may seem slightly down this film, but I'll, I'll happily go see you know, Astro, the next film. You know, I'm always well, uh, eternally hopeful. I'll, I'll throw out some names of people. Like the, 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 this kind of, yeah, it does, does hearten me that there are some new, new people on the, on the docket for this film. So Rupert Friend, Margot Robbie, Tom Hanks. Um, nice. Maya Hawke. Um, Sophie, Sophia Lillis, Matt Dillon, oh, Hope Davis is there as well. And then, yeah, it's littered with other frequent collaborators. Sc- uh, oh, no, Scarlett Johansson's a new one. I just assumed they'd worked together before. I guess she's in. They, they must have. She, she does a voice in Isle of Dogs, but she's never had an on-screen performance in a, in a Wes Anderson film. But, yeah, it's, it's also got. Adrian Brody's back, Brian Cranston's back, Jeffrey Wright, Lee Schreiber, Bill Murray, Jeff Goldblum, Fisher Stevens, Jason Schwartzman, Tony Rivalori's uh yeah, so 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 I don't know. It says it's a but comedy it, it, romance. It's, it's, I'll, I'll have it's it. tricky to use a big cast. And his cast seemed to be getting getting ever bigger. I mean, I I, I there's, there's lots of great names you just listed. I just want to see them all be given even a moment that that that, that hits yes yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah if you get if you're gonna if you're gonna get them give them something to do because when christoph Waltz shows up he doesn't have anything to do yes yeah yeah, yeah. he's yeah. a great performer but it's, it's just like why are you here yeah i guess only time will tell on whether it's a more contained story and it will be talked about on this podcast because you better believe it is written by Wes Anderson and Roman Coppola, baby. So uh, you can't hear my my jaw just hit the floor. <laughs> so before we get into wrapping up this film, what do you think about the kind of the the, the, the wrap around at the end where the, the journalists convene to write the obituary for for, for for Arthur? It was fine. It just felt a little unearned. Um, th- th- I love seeing that collection of people. And there were some nice moments in it. I just, I felt I should care more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, as I said, like I feel like with this film, you almost like because he says it's a love letter to the New Yorker. I'm gonna be honest with you. I've never read the New Yorker in my life, so like it feels like there's aspects of the kind of awning and love that he has in this that are totally lost on me. Hmm. Uh, same. so how does it yeah how does it work as an anthology as well i guess that's the point i wanted to does it is it a successful anthology or does it just kind of fall into the the same trappings i mean off the top of my head it's probably more successful than most anthologies because i think a lot of them i can't really think of examples but a lot of them tend to fall into the kind of half thought through ideas like why come up with one script when you've got like five unfinished you know, ideas shoved together in a kind of 
shit sandwich and this isn't that so i think this is probably more successful than a lot of anthologies yeah. um it's just no it's no pulp fiction mm. not many not 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 many films are <laughs> or almost none you could say yeah yeah there's no films yeah. that, are, that, are, that are pulp fiction so, uh, right so um uh, let's yeah let's let's wrap this bad boy up and uh one thing I always do on this podcast, Chris, I ask my guest, um, did you manage to find any Coppola connections? Were there people who worked on this film who worked with the Coppolas elsewhere in their career? Well, I, I, this question puzzled me. I had to wrap my brain over something interesting to say. Uh-huh. And I came up with something. It's not. It's probably not correct, but here's, here's what I got. So there online I saw there was a list of 32 films that Wes Anderson credits as inspiring this film. Oh, let's have that. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And uh, so you, we noted earlier, this is Wes's 10th film. But significantly on that list, Petros, is Francis Ford Coppola's One from the Heart. Oh, lovely. But get this. I looked up on the internet because I had a feeling One from the Heart is, incidentally, Francis's 10th feature film that he's credited in directing oh amazing i love that so that's what i got <laughs> oh that's beautiful well i'll go for some 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 obvious Copla, mm-hmm. uh, some obvious and some not so obvious copula connections benicio del toro has an uncredited cameo as celebrity in sofia coppola's somewhere uh leah sadu as i mentioned is in the grand budapest hotel tilda swinton is in isle of dogs the grand budapest hotel Moonrise Kingdom and Adaptation with Nicolas Cage. I would get into all the rest of them, but I've done that elsewhere <laughs> when talking about Wes Anderson films. So go back and listen to those episodes to find out how many times Bill Murray's worked with him, where Bill Murray has popped up elsewhere. Uh, we're going to get to Bill Murray again shortly, so don't worry about that. So let's rate this film, Chris, and how we do that here. I always ask, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? Well, it is an anthology film. So in a sense, it's almost a bit like a wine tasting. So I figure it's kind of four different wines, all from the same vineyard. So so they're similar, but they're not radically different. Like this. Are we going... Uh, Let me wines. Is it it a red wine? Is it a red or is it a white wine film? I mean, I prefer red, so we'll we'll go red, yeah. Yeah, f- four French reds, all served in uh, quirky glasses. Yep, yep, I I I I I I, 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 I agree with you there. There's like a, I don't know. There's almost like um, they're more expensive than they should be. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're, you're, well, you kind of look at me, go, is that expensive or is that cheap hat? I can't really tell because it's a bit of both. It's kitschy glasses. Yes. Yeah. 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 You would. You would go to like a. You know I mean, like a, a a factory that's been turned into a bar in East London. You're like, oh, do you want to do the? Do you want to do the French dispatch wine tasting platter? And it's like, yeah, 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 sounds great. And then it's like that'll be sixty-two pounds fifty, please. Then you kind of like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Sh- your your arm shaking as your card goes towards the card reader. 
Yeah, Steph. Petros, by the time this episode airs, that will probably seem like a great deal in this economy. Oh, don't, 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 yeah. <laughs> £62, uh, what a bargain. Oh, uh, yeah. £7, please, for a pint of Carlin. Oh, not, 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 not I drink Carlin, but uh, for any American listeners, a fame or elsewhere in the world, a famously cheap lager in the UK. That, um, will probably be seven pounds uh do the maths of how that converts to your currency at your leisure <laughs> so um, how much are we paying for this wine obviously i've thrown out 62 pound 50 of what it would cost in a uh an abandoned warehouse east london bar but how much are you like what, what do you expect to pay for this is this uh, a middle sh- is this a bottom shelf middle shelf or top shelf pick uh, well, I, I was thinking it was middle shelf, and then I thought, oh, no, no, it's not middle shelf. It's actually just on the end of the aisle, on offer. Oh, so so you're not you're not you're not you're not a, so you've really yeah you, you you've come to stick the boot in this film. You're not you know well, that, that sounds that sounds like a diss, but I am in fact a great lover of wine that has been reduced in price. So that to me is the highest praise because it's something that I'm going to drink and it's at an affordable rate. I like it. I like it. Yeah. I think it's maybe it's got that. Maybe it's got you know, like you've always got like an amount you sort of want to pay. You don't want to pay the cheapest price, but you want to pay something cheap. But sometimes uh, you you buy wine, and the thing that sets it off, like uh, like a distinct bit of plastic over the over the neck of the bottle, you know, a bit of a bit of quirk, a bit of yeah, like a, a bit like of character, a, like a wax, like a wax over the cork or something. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like a yeah, it's all. It, it, and I think it's like it's almost uh, a wine that you recognise. You know what I mean? It's like you recognise what the wine you've seen the brand about, and you, you you're giving it a yeah. go. Like it's, I don't know, yeah, it's it's what. Yeah, it's I, a, I read the label. I saw what it goes with, and it goes with uh, uh, Wes Anderson films. What a what a what a joy! It, it goes with French Revolution. It goes with uh, yeah, incarcerated artists, and it goes with. Uh, yeah, it, it 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 goes with a a kidnapped child, um, uh, and a and a police chef. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The perfect wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Goes, with a, goes with a poisoned pie. <laughs> no poisoned radishes. Come on, there, poisoned radishes. Uh, well, I, yeah. I think this is a, a like a like middle shelf for me in the fact that like it's not Wes's greatest. It's not. It's yeah. not his worst. Like kind of sits very much in the kind of middle like of his of his filmography like for, for me like i say maybe teetering towards yeah it's middle of the bot it's it's bottom of the middle could we say yeah i mean it, it's it's good wine but it's been open for for about a day yeah you know what i mean yeah, <laughs> yeah i'm still gonna drink it but it needs to be finished tonight yes i like that i like that uh so based on this film alone are the Coppola's the greatest film family of all time? Why not? Sure. <laughs> well, you have the you have the lucky chance that you get to answer that question again at a later date. So, uh, <laughs> but it will be on a different film. But you, you going with that? Like on on, on this film yeah, alone? Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, I can't think of another sort of super great film family off the top of my head. So, 
you know, there's there's two of them involved in this. Um, I'm so, slightly cynically saying yes, but not yeah. Okay, don't worry. You don't get kicked off the podcast if you say <laughs> no. Like, uh, if anything, I'm leading you down the garden path to say no. We haven't had a no in a while. <laughs> um, so as we say goodbye, uh, we say arrivederci and um, arrivederci. Is that that's that's not French, is it? Uh, again, again, I'm terrible with languages, to be honest. Um, Before we say goodbye in French, uh, maybe I'll maybe I'll or, yeah d- dub in what that would be now. Uh, but uh, let's find out your answers to what I dub the impossible questions. The first of which being, which Coppola family member would you keep? But in doing so, you get rid of the entire filmography of the other family members. I've got this covered. So I sat down and had had a good long think about this. And I'm probably going to repeat something somebody's answered before because it, it seems to make perfect sense to me. In the, it basically comes down to me, to, to Sophia and Francis, they're, they're the big two. I've got, I've got no shade against Nick or any of the, any of the family, but they're, they're the big two options. Hmm. He's got a very uneven career, huh. but when he's high, literally sometimes, you know, he's really high. Oh, boy. Um, yeah. And he, cause like I say, the Godfather quite easily you know in the con- in the conversation along with the conversation for the greatest films of all time uh-huh. you know um whereas uh sphere's film career she doesn't quite have the same lows or the same highs she's super consistent though her like her career is like i found it really interesting when i was reading the book easy riders raging bulls there's there a bit where francis was talking about the career the kind of career that he always wanted to have uh-huh that he wanted to be a kind of a, a very personal filmmaker, make small films that he would write and direct and how so the Godfather is not the kind of films he wanted to make because yeah. they're, you know, adapt, adaptations for the studio and blah, blah, blah. Whereas the types of films that she's made are exactly that throughout, you know, start to finish her career. Yeah. And, but more or less. Yeah. Like, and I guess like with, with her as well she's found something that she knows do you know what i mean she, this this i don't know telling stories about the, the the almost the rich and famous or the kind of like very female centric stories you can see her life reflected in everything she does do you know what i mean like even, i mean i mean you can see his life reflected in stuff so you watch your godfather or you know, he's all over that film. Like, yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah. The the um, hi, hi, yeah, hired for the fact that he is Italian, so they they're not offending anyone. So so you can get someone to inject. You know what I mean? Like, I think what was the term they used? Like, want 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 this to feel ethnic? I think is what like the producer said at the time. I mean, one thing people don't comment on enough is that Sophia is a master of tone. She does these beautiful sort of tone poems, these uh-huh. kind of less is more. Um, but it's not something that most people do. She, she does a very singular thing. Uh-huh. And so ultimately it came down to, you know, I'm going to lose excellent films, whichever director I pick to keep, to lose. But it did occur to me that there really aren't enough sort of well-known female filmmakers. In fact, she's probably one of the few that people could name, that, you know, average Joe on the street can name. And so aside from just being talented, and she is extremely talented, like what she does is important. And so I think 
I need to keep her on that basis alone. I love it. I love it. You get to keep the Godfather free as well. It's directed by <laughs> someone else, but the Godfather yeah. free is there with her. Yeah, and that uh, music video by the Chemical Brothers where she's doing a bit of dancing. Yeah, uh, but I guess in, in theory, you could keep all three Godfathers because she does, she does appear in all three of them in different roles. Well, then I'm quids in. There you go. They're just don't let 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 let's pick someone from the from the new Hollywood. Who are you picking from the new Hollywood pack to have directed it instead of Francis? I mean, everyone wants to see Scorsese. Everyone's tempted by that because a fellow Italian American and he's again super talented. Um, I mean, who wouldn't want to? Who wouldn't be intrigued to see that film? Yeah, I'm. I'm always. I'm always brought back to the fact that. Francis wanted to write the mm. Godfather Part Two, but then wanted France uh, wanted Martin Scorsese to direct it. Oh, what a film! He thought was. he was out, but they they pulled him back in. Literally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so, what does Bill Murray say, Scarlett Johansson, at the end of Lost in Translation, Chris? Uh, I assume he asks her, uh, "Do you want to come on my film podcast?" And I deliberately think he saves that question until the end of their time together because he thinks it will spoil the mood for Yasser earlier and she, she isn't keen. But. That, that is every kind of conversation I have with, uh, yeah, if I, if, I, if, I, if, I, <laughs> if I meet someone. It's, it's, it's a cool, cool, cool. You're thinking, don't ask, don't ask. Ask, ask, ask. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or, or, or you lead with that. That, 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 that. That's what I've done a lot. I'm just kind of like contacting people. Be on my podcast, and then and then they either say yes uh, miraculously, or they go, "I'm running for the hills." You seem like a nutter. <laughs> uh, amazing, Chris. Well, this has been an absolute joy. I'm I'm so glad we finally got to got round to doing this. I know it's kind of, um, yeah, it's been penciled in for so long, and I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on it. So. Uh, before before I let you go, where can people find yeah your podcast, the Easy Rages Riding Podcast, and the Spielberg Pod? Where can people find that stuff? Uh, like I said, both of those podcasts are on all the, the major podcast platforms. Um, but if they want to track me down on Twitter, and there'll be links to whatever the current episode of either of those is, I'm at ERR Podcast. And yeah, the the two shows kind of alternate one week. It might be one of Spielberg. Maybe there'll be an Easy Riders. Easy Riders is currently in its third series because that's a retro film podcast. So we did the first series just talking 60s films. Second series just talking 70s films. So obviously we've covered many films. I mean, there's been a lot of crossover in that sense with yourself. And our current series is just talking about 1950s films. Amazing. Amazing. What, what? Do you know where you're going next after the 1950s? Are you going further back, or or or, 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 or what, what's on the docket for that one? The plan is at some point in this year to get to the 80s. That's that's been long mooted. Um, we we just had we we generally had a lot more fun in the 50s than we intended to. It became <laughs> kind of the project over the pandemic. Like I think originally we were just going to do like the 50s as like a mini series and just cover like about 20 episodes. Um, but we, yeah, we start recording remotely and talking cartoons and all kinds of, there's, 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 there was so much more in the decade for me to explore uh, that, that I, I hadn't really anticipated. I thought I'd do like the big hits, but there's just so much world cinema, sort of 
underseen classic. You know, it's you've got to work a bit harder to get hold of classic films, but they're mm-hmm. often well worth the effort. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, kind of because I like. I kind of feel like there's going to be even more crossover as I like. Uh, I kind of expand the, the 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 Patreon series, looking at all of the the um new Hollywood directors and kind of going through their filmographies whether eventually i will have to basically do what you've done on the spielberg pod and watch every single steven spielberg film <laughs> well why not it's a pleasure to do i mean spielberg is you know, he's between him and the coen brothers i would say are the goats the, the three of them um and they're you know incredible yeah going through spielberg's film is, is, is it was a joy to do on the spielberg pod amazing amazing chris well thank you so much for coming and making some copic connections with me Uh, Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And there we have it. Another film down on this ever-increasing journey. I recently uh, had a look at the numbers, and I will be doing this podcast for at least another three years, and that's not uh, factoring in all the new Nicolas Cage films, all of the kind of revisits the Nicolas Cage films we'll be doing here and there, all the kind of bonus episodes, interviews and stuff like that. So um, get used to it, guys. Get comfortable. We're going to be here for a long time. Uh, Then then we'll roll on to the next thing. It's... uh, it's, it's already planned uh, <laughs> so yeah we're, we're, we're gonna keep this train chug it along and roll in also a massive thank you to chris johnston uh, as i said in the episode uh, his two podcasts are fantastic uh, really check them out uh I, I i love what chris is doing he's such a such a genial lovely guy so it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast um, did you agree with me and Chris about our views on the Fresh Dis- Dispatch? Did, did Dispatch? Dispatch. Uh, if you didn't, feel free to get in touch. If you did, uh, still free feel, still feel free to get in touch. You can do that on all the socials. So that is Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Letterbox, and TikTok. All at Caged in Pod. Yeah, I love love to kind of I don't know get involved with you guys. Let's have a little little chit chat, chin wag. All of that good stuff. Uh, if you want to drop me an email as well, you can do that. That's cagedinpod at gmail.com. Uh, I don't know what you'd have to say that wouldn't be uh, not suitable for social media. But yeah, you want to confess your love. You want to, I don't know, you want to offer me out for a fight. You want to say, Oi, Petros, Trafalgar Square, 3pm on Friday. Be there or be square. You know what? I'm going to be square. You want to fight me? Uh, That's your problem and you need to seek some help because uh, you shouldn't be offering out podcasters because you disagree with their opinions. That's just not fair. All right. (laughs) As for next week on this here podcast, one that you agree with or you don't agree with, um, I will be having a big old roundtable discussion about a big old bona fide Nicolas Cage film that it hits its 25th anniversary. Only one film I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen. Well, it could be one of two. But the first one that's uh, celebrating its 25th anniversary on the 6th of June is 
Con Air. Oh, and I've got some, yeah, I've got a great kind of um, rabble of guests for that one. Uh, well, yeah, listen next week. It's going to be good. If you enjoyed the last kind of big discussion, this is going to be a bit like that. It's going to be a bit different. We're going to we're going to have fun. We're going to cut loose. And we're going to try and not end up having a, a six-hour pod at the end of it. But uh, yeah, join me for that one. Join us for that one. Yeah, as I said, there's going to be five of us uh, on that chat. So yeah, make sure you come back for that next week. If you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode of the podcast and you want to part with some money to support support what I'm doing over here, head on over to patreon.com forward slash cagedinpod. Um, for a little, it's like £2.50 a month. I think it's like $3, if not less now. I don't know how it works out with the exchange rates, but you can get access to Movie Brat Bros, which is a, a bonus strand of the podcast where season by season we're looking at the films of Francis Ford Coppola's uh, movie making cohort so we're in our first season at the moment looking at the films of brian de palma and i have to admit at the moment it's kind of been a bit um hodgepodge of when the uh, release dates are but i'm, I'm trying to get better already. i'm trying to build up some episodes here on the main feed and then i'm going to really nail it with the uh patreon stuff but there's yeah there's like six episodes in the back catalog so even if you sign up for a month you've got that to enjoy or if you don't want to part with your money, you can head on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this right now and leave a five-star rating and review. Remember in your review to always let me know what you think Bill Murray says to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. And it really does mean like mean a lot. It just doesn't just mean a lot. It like, actually you rating and reviewing um has an actual impact like a few people like left reviews recently and i just saw all of a sudden the chart position on the apple podcast like i think it hit like 22 in the um film history podcast charts which is amazing and i can't do any of that about you like uh, i i assume nobody is listening half of the time so the fact that any of you are is amazing the fact that yeah i i said i i genuinely I, i've got better at looking at numbers probably because they're a bit more manageable and i don't feel so much like i'm screaming into the uh abyss all of the time uh i don't know yeah uh, <laughs> but yeah it's uh thank you thank you all you're you're all lovely you're all great yeah and join me next week when i'll be discussing con air so as always, guys, I've been Petrus Patsilvus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copo Connections, a Drip Town Limery, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family. <laughs>